Hello and welcome to the Discuss podcast. Today, we're very special guests. We've got Captain Barrett on for the first ever episode of the Discuss podcast. Thank you, Captain, for coming all the way to Bristol and joining me on my first ever episode. Yeah. It's an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's been really good to have, I thought you'd be a really good candidate and someone I've really wanted to speak to for a very long time. We've obviously crossed paths in our work, but not really on a very like discussionary basis. I feel like we've been in the same environments and worked on similar within similar projects or festivals, et cetera, et cetera. But I never actually had the chance to sit down with you and eye to eye and have a, a discussion about you and your perspectives and music and something which I'm, which this podcast is all about really. It's just about sharing perspectives and kind of gaining a better understanding between everyone and through our experiences and through our guest experiences and that kind of just through their perspectives, offering hopefully a little bit of insight for people who don't have ha, or haven't had the same opportunities that we've had so yeah it's really good to have you on and i've been really excited to um to have to start this episode with you i always want to start each episode because it's a it's a predominantly music um based podcast so i've always wanted to start each episode by asking the guests what their rarest piece of music is and when i say rare i mean like your interpretation of rare so it can be like rare in terms of yeah, I don't really like to to dictate too much about what that what that is means to you. Oh, that's a that's that's a tricky one. I'm sure for you, someone like yourself, that's gonna be, you could probably got a thousand songs in your head. Yeah, so yeah. even just one's fine. Check it's so up because it's quite hard for me to remember what I've got. Like my recall is not as good as it used to be. And also, so years ago, I put all of my music into a warehouse because I was moving around a lot. And, and so I put it in the warehouse and it all got stolen. So I, I wow. so I'm not entirely sure all, all, all the things I've got. I, I had a really good, it was like a CD from Fernanda Porto. I heard she's like a Brazilian drum and bass I don't samba singer. No. Beautiful. And it's funny because she played in, in the Tucan Club in Cardiff and we were chatting afterwards and me and my mate were kind of almost battling as to who got the most exclusive thing from her and her band. I think he got a, a, a CD of exclusive Batif tunes. I Yeah, he was a DJ at the time. So and and but I but she gave me like they weren't released or anything. They were just demos of her computer. And I was like, yes, and it was so good. But I, I tell you what, yeah, I've got so much. Probably what super rare and. Like, no one will know it listening in, but I'm going to say it anyway. Yeah. Because it's quite relevant to kind of what I'm doing at the moment. But there's a, a Welsh hip-hop crew from the 80s called Just The Deuce. And they released, they only released two tunes. Ease Off and... Oh, man. Everyone's gone. That's now. But, but yeah, those tunes are like super rare to find. And no one, like, even people within Welsh hip-hop don't know about it in until at all. They're like reggae, hip hop, and they're so good. So I'm going to say those. Okay, nice. But do you have copies? Do you have that? Yeah, you're in that. Yeah. Okay, nice. That's really cool. I'm obviously I like to give people a little Easter egg for listeners, so they can jump back in, and everyone's going to have their own sort of. I always find it really fascinating about what people is interpretation of rare as well. Like I try and leave it open so that people can be like. Sometimes I get answers that are like, one-off copies, or there's only one vinyl in existence. Well, like you said, there's only they've only made two tunes, which is pretty rare, and no one knows it. 
some people tell me like the circumstances are rare, for example, and I always find it very interesting. Not only on what the music is, but what people's like individual individual interpretation of the word rare is within this context. It's it's a funny one because I wouldn't say like even though I've had within my lifetime so much music, like I've never seen myself as a collector. Yeah, and I know some people are like, right, this is they they're like they know everything about every piece of vinyl they have. I used to be a lot more like that. When I had vinyl, yeah. like I knew a lot more about each piece. But when I when I kind of, when I had it all stolen, I became a lot more just almost blasé. And it was, it, it was as the digital age was kind of taken over. So I got into digital straight away. And it's so hard to keep on top of because I like, I probably download from promos and, and buy-in and things like that, like hundreds of tunes a week. Wow. So it's like, yeah. It's so it's much faster lot- moving, isn't it? Like I find the digital music market so much more faster moving than the vinyl one. Like I obviously collect vinyl myself, play it. And the process of putting out records obviously takes, a, in, in its essence, takes longer. Yeah. Because of the waiting times and things like that. So the, the turnaround in which music is generated in itself is a lot slower. And more easier to consume, and like you say, with digital music, so much of it, so fast moving. That's a big thing I've always found within the or currently within the music industry is actually the pace of digital music, electronic music. Yeah. So, in fact, it's only recently that I've started buying vinyl again. Again, like some some people kept sending me vinyl, even when you say I don't have a record player. Like people are like I want to give you vinyl, and I like that. That, that they're proud of that, and it's mm. it's something tangible that you can hold. And I'm glad for it because I got a record player in the end. I was like, right, okay, I want to get a record player again. And I started buying vinyl, but only ones that I know that I like to like. I like the whole ceremony of it, picking it up, putting it on the turntable, and just listening to a whole album all the way through. Get up halfway through, turn it over. Like it's it's a different experience to listen to music any other way, really. Hundred percent, and I think if you want to bring it to more like a psychological aspect of that, I've always found that when you're physically picking up a record and touching it, or even the color of the label, sometimes there's a lot more memory for me attached to that record, like an experience, like where I bought it, usually comes to mind when I bought it, where where the kind of phase of my life I was in sometimes when I bought that music. Whereas when I'm scrolling through a USB CDJ and that, I'm picking the tune based on what that tune is, not that all of those like emotional and psychological attachments don't don't really come in to the selection as much. Or the memory doesn't come to me on a personal level. I mean, I still pick it for the, for the music that it is, but I feel like there's a lot more like, yeah, just general connection to the song when you're picking it up because you actually physically have to. Yeah, definitely. And I, and I guess... Like when you put them in your record bag, you kind of scroll past it and you you just look at it and you go, oh, is this the right tune to play now? And you take more of it in. Whereas if you're just scrolling through a USB, it's an instant decision. You're not really taking it in. It's just an instant decision. And yeah, yeah. I, like I can remember the first import album, I like import 12 inch I bought, Apache Gangsta Bitch. I can remember the first tune I bought on Mail Order was General Levy, them the wicked like we yeah, you remember the stories about vinyl a lot more. Exactly, always I don't remember the first digital tunes I bought. C D I do, but not like um MP three or WAM necessarily. 
when, so how was it? How did you feel when you got your record stolen? Obviously devastated, but like I find sometimes when people lose their music collection, that happens. People hard drives go and stuff. Initially devastating. Sometimes come around the other side and you go, oh, this is like a new opportunity for me to kind of re refresh my my approach, refresh my music. Yeah, that's where I got to. That's where I got to. It was quite a crazy time, to be honest with you. It was quite a very strange time. It was in the 2000s. And I was I was putting on a lot of parties and I was DJing a lot. And it was hedonistic. It was, it, and it was chaos. It yeah. was absolute chaos. Like, it was fun. Super fun. But there was a real kind of crazy energy that came with that. And I got quite... Somewhere in there, I got quite depressed. And it was almost like having all of my stuff stolen like that was, at first, it was devastating. I'm like, yeah. like it killed me. But then I kind of wanted to let everything else go. I was like, I had a few things in the house, like CDs and stuff. And I like, I, I just got rid of everything then. All my books, all my like DVDs. I, like a real clear out and just kind of letting stuff go. And that was a big weight. I, I think it kind of really helped with with my depression at the time. Just like, right. right, okay, almost like a restart. Wow. I wouldn't say it's necessarily a, a, a positive thing, but it definitely was helpful to me at the time. Yeah, nice. I mean, that's good that you found a silver lining in it, I guess. So obviously for people who don't know who you are, who are listening in and joining the podcast, I'd love to give them a bit of insight on a bit of your story, a little bit of your background as well, so yeah. so we can move forward and people can kind of understand a bit more about your perspective. So can you share a little bit about your background in the music industry and how you became involved in festival programming and now obviously works within Museum Wales? I try and give the, the edited version. So I'm sure it's extensive. We're talking about a, a career in music here, so it's many, nearly decades now, I think, you know what you Yeah, and it, well, it was, uh, music was always my first love. I think it was my mum that, that noticed that first, because she was always trying to get me into, like, stamp collecting or, like, something, like a hobby, like something to try and kind of keep me on a straight and narrow. And I'd, I'd do it for a little bit, and I'd always so easily distracted. I had, like, Panini sticker books, I had so many books and like none of them were full. I never filled one book. And then she's like, ah, you're into music. Like that's your thing. And and it was, and, and it kept me kind of, kind of on a straight and narrow. I guess more than the people that I was growing up with. Doesn't mean I didn't get into trouble, but. How did know. she realize you were into music? Sorry, just what, through <laughs> playing it to you? Or were they were they big listeners of music, your parents? Yeah, both, both my parents were. Yeah. I was lucky in that respect. Like, I don't remember my parents being together, really. I have, like, very early memories, which would have been when they were together. Like, my very first memory is Notting Hill Carnival. And I would have been very young, and they would have been together because we lived just off Labrador Grove in Notting Hill. So, like, that's my very, very first memory. And so a lot of the, a lot of my music taste kind of came. So we, we, we listened to reggae from the people around because that's what was played. Yeah. After, after Labrador Grove, I moved to White City, Hammersmith, and then Hackney, Kingsmead Estate. So reggae was the sound that you would hear everywhere. And and then early 80s, 83, 84, like hip-hop, electro was everywhere. And 
that coupled with my parents' listening tastes. The earliest ones I remember, actually, is my mum was the police walking on the moon. Like, that was the tune that I remember from my childhood that she would play. And with my dad, it was the whole Beatles, Sgt. Pepper album. Like, they're the kind of things that I remember. And, uh, yeah, and later on as well. They had very different music tastes. The only album that they both owned was Bob Dylan Desire, which is still one of my favourite albums. But, yeah, so she, she I, I think I think I was just kind of, I probably had my headphones on a lot. I was probably just, like, in my own world a lot, like, listening to music. So she gave me a handful of albums. She gave me Bob Marley Legend. She gave me UB40 signing off. Um, the Bonzo Dog Doodah Band. I'm not entirely sure which album it was. Spike Jones and the City Slickers. And Eddie Cochran. Like, those are the albums that she gave me. And it's funny. Quite a diverse selection. Though. Yeah, completely. And, and And it's funny because I think to, to a degree, those underpinned a lot of my later thing, like the Bonzo Dog Doodah Band and Spike Jones. I blame them for the, my whole electro swing phase. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. because it's just that that silliness I, 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 I really related to. You know, I was into Spike Milligan and like, I like silly stuff. And I, I, I think finding that within music later was a big part of me growing up. But yeah, sorry, tangent. No, that's like, right. It's interesting. So, so music was always, always kind of there. It was always what I was into. And I, I started buying my own music, 88, really, apart from like a few other tunes, like LL Cool J, Public Enemy, uh, a lot of pop as well. But all of these, all of these types of music, like hip hop and house and techno, the dancehall and like early sort of, I guess, breaks, cut and paste stuff was all coming in around that period and and all of my a lot of my tastes kind of come from that really because then all of those merge together and you you have like early hardcore and jungle but I was always just a listener I was just a fan I was a listener and I never thought that I could do music I never thought like in music class in school I wasn't allowed in like they kicked me out and they wouldn't let me in the class so I wanted and I, I left school at 14. I was, I was super young. And I, the re, one of the reasons I left was because work experience. You have work experience yeah, at school. Yeah. Like, all all I cared about was I wanted to work in Spiller's Record in Cardiff. You're lucky you knew, because most people I know, when we did work experience, not have a clue where they wanted to go or what they wanted to do, you know what I mean? That was it. That was yeah. all I wanted to do. When, it, when, when we did the kind of work experience thing where they give you a, a, a career... They gave me some nonsense, like an uh, undertaker or something, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, but yeah. I knew all I wanted from work experience was to work in spillers. Because I was so naughty, they wouldn't let me. And I was like, oh, man. So I didn't go. Like, I, they put me in Top Man. And I, I remember walking in, like, a couple of days into the work experience. Like, like I didn't go. But I walked in, and uh, a couple of my friends were in there. And I was like, what's it like? They're like... So boring. I was like, I'm not. Do- I'm not doing it then. <laughs> and I left. I just left. And 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 it wasn't until years later um, that I was like, hey, maybe I could do something with it. I don't know. Like, this is what I want to do. Um, and I, I, I was going into a, a record shop in Swindon. I was living in Swindon at the time, 
and I was just buying tunes and trying to get a job in in like the clothes shops and stuff around because that's what I thought was open to me. I didn't, yeah, I didn't have qualifications. So I was like, right, I'll work in retail, but then I'm going into the record shop and buying tunes. And one day I was like, have you got any jobs going? And I, like, I gave her a copy of my CV, which was honest. I'd lied my ass off and all the other things saying I've got qualifications, but I haven't. But I gave her a CV, which was honest. And she's like, yeah, come in next week. I had an interview. She hired me. Uh, the supervisor left um, from the record shop. So she made me supervisor. Because by that point, I'd completely reorganized the store. Mm. I tidied it all up. I, I put loads of new sections in, like a world section, and tidied up the jazz and blues. And like as I'm going, I'm listening to every, like I knew every album in that store. I was like, right, Con- just consuming it all day long. Um, and then when she left, I became manager. They made me the manager. Um, and yeah, I did that for a couple of years. And then, and, and then I, I, I've kind of fallen out of love with it. The, the organization that owned the record shop were, were growing and they were kind of interfering a lot. I don't like being told what to do. Yeah, same. Like I'm very kind of strong-minded in, in, in what I do. And I didn't agree with a lot of the things that they were telling me to do in the store. And I was like, well, I'm out. And at the time, the dad had, he, he'd got into selling domain names. Um, like it was 1999, the internet, internet boom. Mm-hmm. He'd got into it somehow. And and it, it was like, it was taken off. And he's like, I need a hand. Are you up for it? And like, I don't know anything about computers. <laughs> like I literally don't know anything at this point. Um. And I was like, yeah, okay. So I went and, and picked it up and it wasn't for me, obviously. But, but what it did was it, it gave me a chance to mess around with websites, like this new thing. And the first website that I, I made was a, a, a website about Welsh hip hop. Right. And it was called Enter the Dragon. And I don't know how, but I got talking to all of these different like artists, like Jamie Winchester and Me One and like all these artists around Wales that I didn't necessarily know growing up. Like I knew quite a few from growing up in Cardiff. But yeah, I was just finding them all and putting them on the website and started a forum. And that was it. I was like, right, that's this is it. I'm doing music. So I moved back to Cardiff. I started promoting, put on a, a I started DJing. at yeah, a residency, right? At yeah. Toucan, yeah. Started DJing at the Toucan. That was my first residency. Like my best mate, Dregs, he was hosting at the Toucan at the time. I was living in Birmingham, but going out with his girlfriend's sister. Mm-hmm. And he was like, right, come to Cardiff every weekend. You get to see your girlfriend and I'll like... I get the, the owner of the club to put you on because I kept on making everybody else's mixes. So I was doing that, back room. And we eventually talked the club into giving us a hip-hop night. So we did that. And from that, just started getting into other nights because I was out every single... Back then, you had to be out every single night to promote your night. Like, every single night, pasting up flyers and posters. Yeah, you did social media. No, and, so, and it was a hard sell, even yeah. though there was a lot of love for hip-hop. Different game back then. It was a hard sell, especially because we were booking a lot of artists that we loved, like people like Maestro and Jest and like people didn't really know them. So I'd be out in every single like house party. If I had Jest on, I'd go to a house party and I'd stick on like Jest just as a talking point. And they'd be like, ah, 
would, would you recommend the tunes? Nice. Like, oh, yeah, this is good. Yeah, play it next Friday. Stuff like that. Smart. And, but from that, from being out all the time, um, I got, I got invited to do other nights. And like, I did some random ones. I did like a night which was like Arabic music and reggae. I did one which was like the music that you would listen to in the back of a taxi all around the world, which was like, again, like Arabic pop, like Latin pop and like soca and things like that. And then, and then eventually I hooked up with a guy called Matt and he had a night called Secret Garden in Newport and he, he invited me to DJ. And by that point, I'm playing a lot more kind of house and stuff. I was still playing hip hop and dancehall and like all sorts, but I started playing house and, and a bit more funk and disco and that. And eventually we lost our jobs. We were both working in the same place. I was teaching DJing by that point and, and also working with young rappers in Cardiff, like helping them to, to write lyrics and stuff. Kind of skipped the part where I was a rapper. That's all right. Yeah. That was only a brief, brief career. That was obviously inspired by your passion for hip hop at the time. Yeah, definitely. Because I'd be involved in it. I moved back to Cardiff and I was in the middle of it all. And I'm in the middle of all these rappers writing lyrics all the time or whatever. And I was like, oh, I'm going to have a go at that. And it was really helpful. It was really helpful getting a lot of kind of thoughts and experiences up. 100%. I, I found that exact same thing myself. I've been, I came to Bristol and ended up surrounded by a load of MCs, people writing, freestyling around me. And I was like, I want to contribute here. Like I was just sat there observing loads and I thought I just felt a bit left out. And I was like, I need to contribute. And also, not only that, like you said, I feel like it's, it really helps you, especially if you're working in music at that time, promoting whatever you're doing. Taking part in those things kind of helps you develop a, an even another level of appreciation yeah. for that craft, for the art. Because until you actually really do something, you can always appreciate music, I find, but until you actually really do the thing that they're doing, you're not really tapping into that, that part of you, like that the right expressing yourself and all those kind of things. And I feel like I've, I've personally, I've learned so much. Yeah. I've also developed in a whole nother level of appreciation, not only for lyricists, but also recording artists. Like I recording my first tunes and things like that. It's like, wow. Like I know, I, I know I love music. I know how amazing it is, but I'm like, these people are, this is a whole nother level of talent, which I didn't even, hadn't really deeped it. I hadn't really like taken into consideration, like the actual, the real context of the, the personal side of yourself that you're tapping into totally like the actual emotional feeling that you get as well just from expressing that and the release and all that kind of stuff it's important and and like we started doing workshops to help people tap into that especially around like south wales valleys where yeah. the kids have all of this stuff that's why i'm from up. south wales yeah whereabouts yeah. uh pembrokeshire ah uh, okay yeah <laughs> So um, it's also very interesting. Why we're gonna we can get into that? So yeah, the sort of Welsh hip hop side in a minute. It's so yeah. So as uh, as I was doing that, I was teaching kids. We both lost our job on the same day, and then I got a gig at Glastonbury in two thousand and four. I was in a band. Me and Drake's were like guest vocalists. It wasn't our band, but we were guest vocalists for a band called Dark Chunk, and we entered the Glastonbury Unsigned competition. Um, and won. Like, we won it. We won a slot on what was then the dance stage. We didn't have Silver Haze and all of that stuff back then. It was just one dance stage. And, yeah, we we, we played there on, like, it must have been the Thursday, maybe the Wednesday. 
I think it was, no, it was a Thursday. Yeah, we played them on Thursday. And I remember it because I came out on stage and I just looked out and there's like thousands of people there. And so many people from Cardiff as well. Like, all those friends and stuff would all come. And best feeling in the world. I remember stage diving at one point. I remember jumping up and like running around the crowd still with a mic in my hand and like loving it. But, and I've been to Glastonbury before. I'd, I'd been as a kid. My dad used to help. I guess it must have been C and D maybe, like on the doors, on the gates. Yeah. So back then, security to get in was me. Like, I was probably <laughs> like six, like opening opening the gates for people to loss up. And then, yeah, like snuck snuck under as well before. But um, first, I write a passage. Yeah, exactly. Mm. You got to, you got to do it at some point. Everyone I speak to in the industry is like done that at some point. Yeah, but but yeah, th- this was the first time actually like performing and also um, having some decent passes. So we had a pass for the dance village. And at the same time, a friend of mine had a like a contemporary dance group called Reform Dance. And she was doing a show in the theater and circuits. And we were part of, we were part of that as well, me and Drake. So I had two shows, like I was doing two things. Wow. Um, which meant a lot more access we have passes. That's the game, then, exactly. Yeah, Probably exactly. All the backstage passes you can get. You can um, collect on, like, Pokemon cards. Yeah, I definitely had a few years of doing that. Oh, yeah. Um, and, yeah, so but so it was just a whole new experience at Glastonbury. And, and look, meeting lots of new friends as well. Like, the girls from Reform knew, like, rest in peace, Josie. She was from Glastonbury. And so knew a lot of the people from there. I met bands like Babyhead that weekend and, and things like that. And it was like a whole new eye-opener. And that was it. That was it. I came back from there like, no, that's me. I need to go to more festivals. I hated your passion for it. Yeah, that was the... 100%. I was like, that was magic. That's the only way I could describe it was magic. But we'd, we'd lost our jobs, me and Matt. So we started putting on more nights and we went to the very first best of all. I think we were like litter pickers or something. Yeah, no, we were definitely litter pickers. We were really bad litter pickers. But that's that's what got us. You pickers. do what you can sometimes, isn't it? Just to get in. Yeah, thing. I mean, and that and, and that's that's what we got. I mean, it's a good way for people to get in. If you have a money, man, it's it's a way. Um, a lot of festival industries built that volunteering is, is essential for the. Oh, the you. Festival. Yeah, it is. It is essential, and that's a good and a bad thing. But yeah, yeah, I mean, that's a whole another. That's a whole another topic. But yeah, so we went to festival, and we had a we had again we had such a magical time. It was the very first one, and then basically, Matt managed to convince Rob the Bank to let us bring an inflatable church the next year, and we so we did that. We started bringing doing like fake weddings and playing eighties music, and. Through that, from doing from that, we we started taking the church all over the country, doing like Glade Festival and like Secret Garden, not maybe not Secret Garden, no, not Secret Garden, because we had a night called Secret Garden. There was a little bit of uh, beef, but yeah, all, all all of these other festivals around around the country, and that's how I met uh, Lack and Chris from Boomtown, okay, and also Robin from from Shangri La, because they all came at some point and were part of the inflatable church. Like Black and Chris did the sound. I think Wonka was there as well. 
did yeah did the sound for the church which was insane we nearly all got banned from the from the festival that year and yeah from that just carried on carried on trying to skip why did you get banned why did you need to get banned? Uh, we was just naughty oh right, yeah just we were like, just super naughty joining yourself yeah um <laughs> we but we we did that for years at, at, at festival and matt carried it on after that as well that's nice because i was always wondering what your connection was well how, how you, i was going to ask you that you know, how you met those guys yeah and then so then me and Matt were doing clockwork. We did a couple of nights in clockwork with Chris and Wonka. For an hour that doesn't know clockwork, that's an old club that was in Bristol next to Blue, well, where, also where formerly Blue Mountain was now, just at the bottom of Stokes Croft by the roundabout. That's right, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, a, it was a killer, killer club. We had, we had a couple of really good nights in there that we put on, like a sports day theme thing. Yeah, just super fun. And... Yeah, so after a while of putting loads of parties on and, and everything, like it all got a bit much, and I felt like I was kind of losing my brain cells a little bit, and so I went to uni, and I managed to blag myself on a course. It, w- it wasn't easy because I didn't have any qualifications, right? And they were like, "I oh, unless you've got qualifications, you can't do a, a BA." And I'm like, oh, "Come on!" <laughs> and I got chatting to the, the lecturer or the head of the course, and. She knew a lot of my friends and they were all like good students. Um, and that's that stood me in good. That's well, good, yeah. Um, good representation. Yeah. So she gave me a chance. She gave me a, a shot. That's amazing. And, 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 I, and I got it. I got, I got 2-1 in broadcast media, popular culture. I got to use my brain a lot. And I came out of there like, okay, what am I going to do now? And um, I didn't really find the answer, to be honest. Mm. I moved to Bristol, didn't really work out here. Like, so I moved back to Cardiff, even though I didn't really want to at the time. And Matt was running a club called, he'd opened a club with a, a, a few others called Cardiff Arts Institute in Cardiff. And he talked, eventually talked me into running, like running the event side of it. Right. So I was programming loads of bands because I'd been at all these festivals. We were programming the bands that we'd seen at festivals like Babyhead like Smyrna's Social Club, Gentleman's Dove Club, and like all of these other bands that we'd seen at festival. And like, so it was a wicked club. It was a wicked venue. We had a lot of fun, but the bar was too expensive. So people were like sneaking loads of drinks in or like getting drunk before and turning up afterwards. So even though we were, we had the door and the the, the brewery had the bar, and the brewery were like, we're not making enough money from this. So we went to festival one year and came back and they literally locked us out. They closed the locks and all of that. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, so, so I moved to, but it was while I was running that, it was while I, while I was running that, that I went to the first Boomtown. My partner at the time was doing scenic art for, for it. And so I went along, had a good time, wanted to do a, a launch party, but the second one, phoned up Lack and there was some incident with the, the venue that I was working at where they had fitted the rig, but the brewery hadn't paid them. So he's like, I, I can't do a launch party at your venue on principle. But then he phoned me back. He said, do you want to, do you want to host the, do you want to be our town crier? I was like, <laughs> yeah. All right. No idea why you asked me still to this day. So I went and hosted the town center stage as town crier for the first year. And then from that, I graduated to become the mayor. <laughs> um, yeah. The mayor of Boomtown. I remember seeing pictures of that. And 
And yeah, so so just built on that relationship and went off to London for a year working on a, a project which we don't really talk about in uh, event circles. And but big up the crew. They, 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 that was a good experience in terms of what I learned. Yeah. And anyway, eventually moved to Bristol, called on Lack, and he went, ah, right, I haven't really got much work for you, but I'll, if you're stuck, I'll give you a week's work update in the website. And I was like, yeah, all right, I'll do that. You knew how to do that. Yeah. Thankfully. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I had a bit of experience in that by that point. That's funny, isn't it? How that's funny. Like, you never thought those skills were going to come in later on, but they did they do favours. I never thought about that. Yeah. True. That happened. That happens. I, I think no experience is wasted time. I never said I honestly believe that. Oh, apart from watching Magnolia, I'll never get those three hours back. And that, <laughs> that will always upset me. I know people love that film. I'm sorry if you love that film, but I, yeah, each to their own. Yes. So eventually he just starts giving me more and more work. And then he said, oh, can you help me program this stage? And I was like, yeah, cool. He said, oh, can you help me program these other stages? And he was getting busier and busier until in the end, he's like, right, you're in charge of the music. <laughs> yeah, because he knew you obviously... You've got a very wide knowledge of music at this point. You've been listening to loads of music. You worked at the record shop. You're a perfect candidate, really, in my opinion, for someone to program your music festival. I had a thirst for it. I had a thirst for it. So even the bits I didn't know, like you asked me to program the start of the Scarpunk stage. Like I knew a lot of Scarpunk bands just from being around, but but it's not like an area that I knew a lot about. So so I'd learn. And I love geeking out on music. That's my favourite thing. Yeah, and it's also not just knowing, from my experience of programming stages, it's not always just knowing the music. It's about knowing what's going to work in that environment yeah, and, and what's relevant at the time. Because it might be really good music, but you might it might not it might not land the same way in that environment. And that kind of leads me on to something I wanted to ask you. Yeah, sorry, that was a really long answer. No, that's good. No, it's good. It's really interesting. And I learned a lot, we learned a lot about where your taste comes from and, and kind of the... I always find it interesting in this industry, the roads that people walk before they end up where they end up because sometimes they're super all over the place. And, other, and also it's just like, it's like a building blocks from what I've listened to from what you've just said is kind of highlight that your career has been like a slow, gradual process through your through the journey in music. I mean, it hasn't just come out of nowhere. You didn't just jump into it. You've kind of always done it, which I think is really nice. And and everything you did prior to that job at, at Boomtown, which you've done, you did for a long time, kind of led you to that in a really nice, gradual, kind of step by step way. It gave you all the skills, but like you said, I feel like it's just like boom, it's like the perfect fit. Bit of serendipity there. You just got to keep moving forwards. That's the one thing I learned is you just got to keep going. And like I didn't always. Right. I spent a lot of time stagnating, but like that's natural. But yeah. The, the most important thing was like, right, okay, this is what I want to do. I don't know exactly what I want to do. I don't know where I'm going, but just keep moving forwards and I kind of got there. Because, I, yeah, I don't think in all of that time, it's not like I, I had it in my head that, I, I, that that's what I wanted to be. Yeah. I just knew I love music and that's what I wanted to be around. 100%. And then you end up in that, in that what some would call a dream job within the industry, getting paid to um, listen to music 
Yeah, it's not it's not as easy as I'm making it sound. Obviously, I I know for a fact you can go into that in a minute. But mm. um, what do you think? Like when it comes to programming, then you know we're at that point in your life now where you're, you're working for Boomtown and you're you're programming all these stages. So if for anyone listening who who is interested in that side of things, because it's kind of a side of the industry that not many people get to do, um, and also not many people really talk about it, like. In a, in a public sphere so I think it'd be quite interesting for the listeners to kind of know a little bit about what what from what you've learned um how 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 do you curate a diverse lineup that kind of resonates with the audience and also is there some sort of process to it for you or like a recipe and, and like are you given any targets so it starts it really it starts with what you want to achieve out of it and and what we always wanted to get was an audience an engaged audience so it's not necessarily like bringing people to the stage is not enough when at the stage we want them fully engaged in the moment um because that's when you get stuff out of it like i've been to a lot of events where people aren't fully engaged and all they've really got out of that experience is like ticking off a list maybe. And events, what I learned from festivals like Glastonbury is how magical things can be and and how much you can actually get out of that experience of everybody coming together, letting themselves go. I always say like a good gig helps you to lose yourself and to find yourself. And so that's what we were aiming for, really, a lot of the time. So we'd listen to we'd listen to people a lot. Like it was easier in the early days because a lot of it was just on Facebook and people would tell you what they wanted to hear. And so you had an idea of like who the audience was and what they wanted. You don't you can't always give people what they want because there's it's not like a lot of people when they complain, like, oh, why isn't so and so at Glastonbury this year or why isn't so-and-so yeah. at Boomtown it's like you can't just knock on someone's door and go will you play the festival yeah okay then That's, uh, it's not that easy there's a lot that goes into those things and and so but from listening to people and knowing the bands as well yeah because a lot of people will say a band and you're like that's not gonna work so it's not just to listen to people but to know the bands and picture them you have to like I always picture a band in that environment. Like I've seen, like I went to see Fat Freddy's Drop, mm-hmm. and they were terrible, right? They were terrible, um, and the crowd were dead. And I was like, hmm, maybe not one for Boomtown. And then I was like, okay, let me picture this with a different crowd, in a different environment. I was like, no, it could work. And yeah, when they played Boomtown, it was it was wicked. There's loads of bands like that. You have to picture picture them in the environment. Yeah, context is important. You're right, and the audience, listeners, people who are actually listening, the age demographic. Yeah, exactly. It's super important, and um, and you just have. It's almost like it's almost like tuning tuning yourself. Like because uh, I learned as a DJ, I was lucky. I learned as a DJ. You kind of tune yourself into the crowd that you've got in front of you. A good DJ does, yeah. Yeah. And you've got all these different parts of you going on inside. 
and you just kind of you tune your insides into it and and that's what I was doing with programming I'd, I'd think about the audience that was there and just tune my certain parts of me so I'd go to a show tune myself into that moment and be like right okay does this work does this add to that and so sometimes it's a gamble like we took so many gambles I remember one year 2015 I'd booked like La Pagatina, Dabioza Collective, Deluxe, like all these bands that, like, I don't think any of them had played in the UK before. Wow. Dabioza Collective had played Glastonbury that year, but not when I booked them. That's such a nice feeling though, isn't it? Like bringing people over for the first time. It's amazing. I always enjoy that. As long as it goes well. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. You feel a lot of uh, responsibility to their experience as well, don't you? Because you've put like you've put them there, you've given them the platform, and then if it doesn't go well, you re- I always find I always feel very like a deep sense of like sap, not sap. That's not deep, not like morose, but I mean like no, you feel you feel you, you feel, feel it, pain, you feel gutted. You do. I, like a, like it's happened. I'm boy, no, it's over, yeah. and and it hasn't been a big crowd or whatever, and and, and like I feel that, and, and it's because. It's because when you invite someone into your space like that, they are your guests. 100%. When you invite the the audience in, they're not they're not punters. That's your guests. You've invited them in, and it's your responsibility to look after them, okay. but to make sure that they have a good time. It's an important thing to remember. And like I never understood nights I'd go and play, and I'd never even meet like anybody working there or or, or whatever. And I'd be like, okay, when when people came to our nights in. in in Cardiff, like even back to the hip hop, like we thought it was just normal that we come in and we look after you and yeah, yeah. And I, I think most people are more hospitable in general, though. Yeah, quite than, yeah than some, quite possibly. And and, and I noticed it a lot more in um, I noticed a lot more in in like Europe, like places like Italy. When I go to Italy, yeah, I, I'll always I'll, I'll I'll generally like give them a a a, a discount, should we say, on like fee. If I can stay for the weekend, yeah, because I just love to hang out and hang out with people and find out more about them. It's it's sharing experiences. I think I think you really lose something when it becomes just a job, correct? And like that was never about that for me. None of it was ever about that for me because I never really, I was never really good with money growing up. I didn't really care about it. So, uh, like I never had it. Yeah, <laughs> probably because of that reason. When you're dependent on something, though, like you say, when you know, when you're relying on something, I find from my personal experience as well, and from speaking to others, this is like an age-old tale now, especially working within music. That when you do something that you love and it becomes something you rely on for your income and your sustain sustaining yourself, you start to make compromises in your the thing you enjoy to 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 pay the bills. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because you're relying on it for that. And then you might necessarily end up doing things that you wouldn't usually just do for the fun of it. You do it because oh that pays well. Yeah, and I was never really good at that. Like I lose interest quite yeah quite quickly if I'm not enjoying it. Like I was pro- like even even after I left Boomtown I was programming a, a, another festival and it was fairly simple. It was fairly straightforward and they I could have really done with the money. But I got into an argument with, with Will Young's agent and I was like, I don't care about this. Yes. <laughs> like, I'm out. Yeah, why am I arguing for him? What Will Young fighting? Yeah. No disrespect to Will Young, but I don't care about him. Like, yeah, I don't talk. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, it doesn't doesn't connect to me in any way. So I'm like, why am I even doing this? I'm out. 
And like in that, I guess I've been lucky because I've always because I've always had to kind of follow what I'm into. Um, I've ended up doing what I love, and I I've realised that that's a, 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 a real kind of position of privilege. Not everyone gets those opportunities, but but for me, it's a, a really important part of the, my journey. Hundred percent. That's nice. And so you talked a lot about earlier about your your kind of connection to Welsh hip hop, mm. as that's something now you're very much immersed in again. Yes, with the work you do at the museum, and from what I understand, you're kind of just building a. You can probably maybe clear this up a bit more. But you're like curating exhibitions as well as um, trying to like build up more of a database and like just kind of like pushing more awareness around that kind of that branch of hip hop from, from Wales is that right yeah yeah pretty much that so yeah I kind of again serendipity really I was really needing to step away from Boomtown from my own kind of sanity I guess but for lots of reasons, a lot of that was to do with kind of burnout. Yeah. Like actually hitting burnout and very common in this industry. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't I didn't recognise that for ages. And it's like I would say at that point I wasn't we'd had lockdown and yeah. and that was kind of I guess quite helpful to recovery from burnout because before then I'd I'd probably been burnt out for a couple of years and like just kept on going. You don't realise. Sometimes. Yeah, exactly. And you just, well, you just can't stop. And you just keep, keep going on the wheel, yeah. And and I, I was just aware that I couldn't allow myself to get back to that space, really. So, so yeah, it was time to step away. And then this job came up. Dregs said, "Mate, there's a job, and you have to do it." Basically, I was like, "Okay, let me know when it comes out." So yeah, when the museum released this job, which was like a coordinator for originally for a 50th anniversary of hip-hop kind of exhibition. Because that was like, well, it was like a year ago now. No, this this year. So was it this yeah, year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember um, seeing it at festivals. That's right, yeah, because they've done loads of performances at festivals, 50 years of hip-hop, a boom time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Which is, it was a nice thing. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I subscribe to 50 years of hip-hop. And that's, again, that's a whole other story. But I definitely wanted the job. And I, I was lucky I got it, but the the actual the actual project that I got hired for fell apart. Basically, it was mainly a fallout between uh, the museum and um, the main partner, and I kind of got caught up in it. And um, museum were really good; they were really good to me. They were like, "Look, okay, I'm sorry, this project's not going to happen." Uh, we'll honour your contract, but thanks, but bye, mm-hmm. essentially. And I was like, nah, we've done so much good work here. We've got to like do something. And also what I was really adamant from the start was, I don't want to start something, I don't want to promise something and not deliver. Right. Because especially in Wales, especially in hip-hop, like people are used to that. People are used to... Um, getting excited about something and then it not happening and I was like I don't want I don't want that to happen again like I care about that because what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to build people up 
and I can't I can't just let that go again. So the museum have been wicked, and so we're working on a new project, which will be an exhibition. The date that we've got at the moment is summer 2025, and yeah, it's it's super exciting because not only because of how I grew up, like I got I connected to the Welsh hip hop scene quite early, and mainly through through Drake's. He was in a group called Best Shot, late 80s. They were signed to East West Records for a while in the nineties, and um, then a group called Underdogs, really like seminal kind of youth project in the in the early nineties as well. I was friends with uh, a few of those guys, so I was always uh, kind of connected to it, and especially in the two thousands when we were doing higher learning, there was so much talent, so much. It was so exciting to be there at that point. Um, and everyone was so different. Everyone had their own voice. But like hardly any of those acts, to be to be honest, hardly any of those acts were known inside Wales. Outside of Wales, no chance. No one was no one cared about Welsh hip hop. Acts like Headcase Lads in the late nineties and early two thousands, like so good, so unique, and so like um authentic and individual and creative all of these things um they got signed to a true thoughts sub label of Deborah traffic but the label they like we love your music but we don't we don't really know what to do with it with hip-hop i've always found it really interesting how it generally tends to not permeate outside of its country of origin as much as other music does mm. and i wonder now i'm saying it has it got much to do with and i wonder what your opinion is on this but has it got much to do with the strong cultural and like sort of identity attachment that's that is that is fixed within the nature of creation of that music i mean like you're spitting about you're, you're speaking about very personable experiences, very personable contextual social cultural environments within within your area, vicinity, country, as it yeah. were. And I feel like hip hop music is very, very strongly attached to that kind of side of, of the human experience. And I feel like so then it kind of somewhat maybe could limit its ability to be appreciated by other people from I think so. Yeah, I think so. I think I think that's a big part of it. It's all about being being yourself and and keeping it real i say so um so yeah I, I think i think that does limit some people because i love french hip-hop yeah i love the yeah. way the language sounds and i think it worked really well the rhyme schemes and things like that but it's just it, like obviously because people don't understand what they're saying i thankfully I, I speak a little bit french so i do understand it i can connect to it but if you don't understand the language that is a very basic example. I mean, if you don't understand the language, how are people supposed to understand what the actual lyrics? It's a funny one, though, isn't it? Because cause I listen to a lot of French hip hop. I don't understand a word of French, really. Right. And But I think there's other things that help. So, for example, when La Haine came out, it, I think it really helped, well, French hip hop. Yeah. Because people had another thing that they could connect it to. Um, we don't really have that in Wales. We don't have a lot that comes out of it. I mean, really, what would have been great is when Twin Town came out, yeah. head, head case lads blew up then because the 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 
Swansea humour within both of those is so like they were Strong, very similar. Yeah. They were actually but they were actually supposed to be on that soundtrack as well. Oh really? Uh, yeah, I've heard the tune that was supposed to be on it, but it, for some reason it was never on there. But yeah, I think I think people just struggle to really understand it a lot and, and engage with it. But but we do do that with films. Like people did engage with Twin Tower and people did engage with Human Traffic and. Because there's other things underneath it. There's other things yeah. within that. And I think that are more universal. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think there is a way. Like, all, I mean, all of us listen to West Coast, East Coast hip hop. Like, no. You don't. I'm not attached really to that experience. Yeah. yeah no, so true. why not? Why can't someone relate to the Welsh experience? That was what I was about to say as well. It's like the American, American hip hop has always permeated. Yeah. As opposed to these hip hop from other places, I've got a lot of strong connections with the UK uh, hip hop network, and I've always felt like some people are probably going to hate me for saying this, but I've when I observe it from an outsider perspective, sometimes I feel like it's a bit of a glass ceiling there for artists. They kind of reach a certain point, and then it, it's a lot more difficult to then kind of break up into. You see it with some artists like Ocean Wisdom and people like that. They kind of broke through into the pop market. It's still, it's still a bit of a glass ceiling. It's I mean, still, there you go. I, I think one of the problems is is the term hip hop. Like hip hop will always be associated with America. So when people were doing UK hip hop, people were automatically associating them with American hip hop. Right. Whereas when people started doing grime, that was very much rooted in London. So people had a different association people could be feel more authentic even though UK hip hop artists were being super authentic with, with their lyrics yeah. and everything. I think I think to a degree the term hip hop was an issue um, and because 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 they're always going to be essentially lesser than I don't mean that as in they're not as good but they're always going to be viewed as Lesser than American hip hop because of yeah. that term, because of the term. Um, they use rap now, don't they? UK rap, exactly. And it's it's the same with 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 artists who are under UK rap. They're a lot bigger than yeah. any UK hip hop artist was. Yeah. Um, and is the music that different? Not really. No. What what? A lot of the skills are not as good. A lot of the, a lot of the elements, yeah, yeah, are not as good. Yeah, but the the story is better. I guess. Um, yeah, so rap is a much more, it, it doesn't have the same um, associations as hip-hop. I mean, it has a lot of the same associations as hip-hop, but I guess it's more universal. Yeah, yeah contextually, but also yeah. has like, you have a, more of an ability to kind of branch out into a new approach to the sound and singing kind of aspects and, doesn't it's not quite as focused in the storytelling side. It's more like like you said, universal and more approachable. And again, and also with hip hop is it's such a like you can't define what hip hop is. You can't. I ask people all the time, like, what does hip hop like? What is hip hop? And, and and you can answer it, but you can't give a definitive answer. Yeah, because it's too broad. And I think, yeah, I'm I'm having the the reason I, I guess I'm kind of thinking in terms of what I'm doing at the moment is yeah. the term hip hop has 
is as problematic as it is helpful. And so with the exhibition that I'm doing, it's very much the impact that hip hop has had within Wales, rather than this is Welsh hip hop. It's about the impact that hip hop from when it first arrived, really in like 80, end of 82, 83, um, until now. So I can include a lot of the younger guys that are doing stuff that, that don't easily sit within the banner of hip hop. Yeah. No, this is it. And so what is it about Welsh hip hop in particular, other than the fact that you're were you born in Wales, did you say so? No, no but, but you've but lived there for a long Wales time. Is, Wales is my home. Right. That's where the heart yeah. is, yeah. So I I'm just more interested in, in I'm obviously fascinated in like why people identify with certain kinds of music. What is it about not just individually but socially on a broader scale as well. But what is it about Welsh or what was about hip hop, firstly, that you or the term hip hop, we, that you we understand it as, that you identify with so strongly, and also why? What is it about Welsh hip hop that's made you so passionate about wanting to to, to delve into it, other than the job opportunity? So, that's a really good question. Um, growing up, I, I guess hip hop is something that I kind of I can't tell you why I related to it at first when breakdancing first came out. And from then, when I first got into it, like, I literally just like the sound of it. Like, I can't can't really put myself back into that. Oh, I and But I remember, well, even a bit later, I remember watching LL Cool J on Behind the Beat in 1988. And he was just, it was the first, I think it was the first time I'd seen a live hip-hop show. It was on the telly, but like, he was just walking back and forth along the stage, rapping. And I couldn't compute it. I couldn't understand why I was so fascinated. Like I had I had rap, I had a lot of hip hop. But this is the first time I'm watching it. I'm like, what is it? Why why do and I remember everyone else in the room wanted to turn it off. Like my mate Carl was he was into metal and he was trying to turn it over. I was like, no. I want to watch this. Like, what is this? And I guess a lot of it is to do with that. Like, rap is a really good way of getting out frustrated emotions. I think one of the best vehicles, which is why you get a lot of, you you end up with a lot of violence and stuff in rap because it's the best vehicle for for releasing those frustrations and and releasing that kind of um, pent up, Aggression, I guess, in many ways. Yeah. Well, certainly it was back then. Um, and I think, I think, I think that's what I related to a lot. I was going into, going into sort of teenage year, related to that aggression. And, but at the same time, you had groups like Public Enemy who had a sense of whose frustration was different. It was different about, inequality and it was different it was it was angry still but it was angry about like injustice and things like that which i was I, like i cared about things like that and i was like wow that's it fight the power yes yeah um, the energy behind it as well yeah like the the message and the kind of overall overbearing kind of philosophical kind of energy that, that exists within certain genres of music you know, yeah something uh, you align with and i i i think from then it just kind of grew and i guess i guess when i was doing what why I started enter the dragon was because I was just into hip hop at the time and 
and no one was talking about Welsh hip hop. No one was talking about all this amazing music that was there. Yeah. And I wanted to learn more about it. So it was a good vehicle to do that. And I guess in the 2000s, it was a case of I met all of these people. And uh, they're all good people with values, with a lot of the time kind of problems. Yeah, as we all are. Who need a break. I don't know. Yeah, I guess it's just, it's just that sense of community, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And, and and that's what it is. In, in fact, community is exactly what it is. Because when we started higher learning, we 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 knew all of these different acts from around Wales because of doing the the the, the website, and we wanted to bring people together. We wanted that sense of community. We're like we wanted that energy and we wanted to bring people together and we did, we managed it. And it was, it was beautiful. It was such a beautiful moment. And I guess it's not necessarily that I'm chasing that sense of community, that same sense of community, but I'm very aware that um, if Wales doesn't look out for each other, nobody outside of Wales is going to look out for the people there. Yeah, definitely gets left behind. Um, a lot of ways. And and I've grown up seeing a lot of the issues that come with that. And so I'm passionate about it. Like I'm passionate about wanting to to help Wales and people within Wales to realise their potential. I was kind of lucky. I've been lucky in many respects. And I'm seeing so much passion and energy and creativity again within Wales. And of course... Like, no one's talking about it. And that, that frustrates the head out of me. So I'm like, okay, if I go and I start talking about it and I start creating ways for people to talk about it and creating these opportunities, hopefully other people will start to catch on. Yeah, 100%. And raising awareness is only going to help, hopefully, obviously, hopefully inspire more people as well along the road, help people pick it up with more of a community that's also developed within the, the art form itself, let alone outside of it in terms of appreciation. It's only going to benefit. Yeah. We can't lose. And I, you know, like music was my kind of main thing. But when, when I started on, um, when I started on the project, I was very aware that the, the people that come under the hip hop banner still includes graffiti and it includes the breakers and the other dancers and all of these other people. And, and lots of them were friends and, and people that I know. So of course, I want to include them. Of course, I want to include their stories. Even though it's it's a long, complicated story with the, the four elements and stuff and the history of hip-hop, as I've learned over the years. <laughs> yeah. So how do, you, how do you think... So, you know, we're kind of talking about music identity here, like your own one there as well. But I've, how do you think that music does shape... This is something that fascinates me. Like how do you think music does shape kind of people's cultural and personal identities as a whole other than the sense of community which you touched on which i thought was really nice it's like like were you wearing when were you wearing like hip-hop style clothes or like were you dressing like that because you listen to so much other music i kind of find it maybe it's quite interesting to see were you dressing in all sorts of clothes as well because sometimes i often find people's sense of dress especially if they're music listeners can often be quite strongly related to genres of music that they listen to the most. If you're talking about metal heads, for example, yeah. or hip hop heads, 
things like that. You kind of it kind of often does kind of dictate where you kind of identify or who you identify with within society. I think hip hop has always been there at the core of of my identity, I guess. Yeah, uh, and and reggae, I would say in that as well. They've always been my core, like base. And so, yeah, in the 90s, especially, I was definitely wearing baggy jeans and uh, hoodies and like Timberland, well, not Timberland boots, cheap market ripoffs of, of Timberland boots. And I had fake cross colors caps. And yeah, I was definitely wearing knockoff hip hop clothing. Yeah. Yeah. With, with a little bit of kind of like click suits and like dance all sort of fashions as well. God, I even had a string vest at some point. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry to all Jamaican people everywhere. <laughs> but, yeah. I guess, but but it gets complicated beyond that. I know a lot of people kind of really, one thing I've realised since doing the, the, the exhibition, which I don't think I really tapped into, was how much people pay attention to fashion. Yeah. Because I haven't really, like I haven't really, I don't really care about it. I could never afford fashion clothing. And I kind of just, like magpie stuff. Remember how the yeah, like charity shops and stuff. And and when I was so when I went beyond that, loads of different elements started creeping into what I was wearing. But I think hip hop was always at the at the base of it. But going back to the the question of yeah, like, like, as well as other people, like how does it like kind of? I'm just interested in like how like it kind of forms other people's as well as ours our own yeah how it affects cultures as well like the whole whole country sometimes one of the big things for me with what i do is i like music to open doors and and it has done for me and i I really want it to do that for other people because music you can't say that music just does that because for some people music is such an insular thing you know, like they based their whole identity on one style of music, and 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 so in that sense, music becomes quite insular. Yeah, yeah, you're very attached to it. It's like a lot there. Whereas for me, hip not hip hop, but like music in general has always been the opposite. It's the thing that kind of like connects the dots between me and other people, and and I like doing that for other people, like connecting the dots outside of their comfort zone and like go and step outside of your comfort zone a little bit and listen to this. Yeah. And because it opens, it just opens different doors within your, 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 your perception of the world in your emotional palette and, and how you deal with people as well. Like all, all of the, all of the different people I've met through music that I know that I can relate to because of that one core thing that that joins us together. Yeah. It's so important. Like I'd say, yeah, I'd say it's got me out of trouble loads of times. Because when I when I moved from Cardiff back to Birmingham in the in the uh, early nineties, like I ended up in a lot of situations that were quite dangerous and a lot of the time music got me out of those situations yeah because they just knew you had a shared yeah appreciation for it oh you're cool you're all right <laughs> yeah you're all right <laughs> you're all right because you like so and so um 
and that no, and that's the beautiful thing about music. It, it is a it is a cultural universal. It transcends all every every single culture in the history of the world and in the world all share the the, the experience of music. They need to express themselves. Yeah, I, I, so, I guess they've all got ears. You know what I mean, I mean, you've got so much again. Like, I guess with la- like with actual language with with words, it's easy to to hit language barriers. Yeah, whereas. You can feel, but but if someone's talking to you, you can tell from their tone and everything whether you share something or whether you should be worried about that person. And with music, I guess it's it's a more raw way of that. Like you can feel that emotion, and you can connect with that emotion. And yeah, as I say, it, like it opens up your own kind of barriers. It can make you feel safe. It can make you feel scared. It can make you feel one of these different things and the more you tap into lots of different types of music the more you're opening up your emotional range yeah I, I often sometimes even find I'm going to I'm obviously a big fan of anyone that knows me knows I'm a massive fan of reggae dub roots music that's why I spend the majority of my time taking part in listening to Pavey etc when I go to a dance of that ilk I often find myself thinking about things in my life that have nothing to do with music and i'm stood there listening to listening to the experience and feeling the vibrations but i'm thinking about all sorts of parts of my life i'm thinking about relationships like and but, but not just not just popping into my head like and i'm almost getting answers yeah, yeah. sometimes from that it's from that med experience yeah it's a meditation yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm drawing inspiration i'm drawing answers i'm i'm learning new things again about myself as well yeah like you said and like that is a one beautiful aspect i think of music and music experience especially when it's listened to loud <laughs> i think there's i think there's really something in in that base as well though like standing in front of a, a huge st- speaker stack like with with dumb pumping out like that like there's something like someone needs to package that yeah, we're gonna. And, I'm gonna touch on that in a later episode with some people because it is healing. Yeah. There's no doubt in my mind about that that it's healing. I was speaking to Kibbe Lamlech about, um, and he's obviously run his own sound, been part of that kind of community for years, and he's got some interesting perspectives. I want to get him on an episode, and we'll yeah. talk about that kind of side of things. I look forward to hearing the power of healing of sound, yeah, vibrations and things like that. Definitely. Um, yeah, it kind of annoys me a little bit when I listen to music. Music that's made for phones and they start getting rid of the bass. Yeah. And even the drums completely, I, um, something that really frustrates me. Oh, yeah, it drives me. What people try to send me music, for example, yeah. and I, or like try and show me music to put, to put out or release or work with, and then they play, start playing it through their laptop. And I'm like, I don't... I, I can't. I, I can't appreciate that. You just you're missing loads of. You're missing so much of it. Like I can't hear your beat B line. I can't hear anything. So how am I supposed to actually know what this what this song is? It's a different song. It's all together. Yeah, and that's actually interesting because the mediums we listen to music on now it really dictates the music that gets made often. Completely. And and so did you see? Oh man, where is it? I feel like it was. Maybe South America somewhere, Central America somewhere, where they like like gangs of youngsters 
gather together and they listen to music through like siren speakers. Like, yeah. Oh yeah, really yeah. skinny kind of like just compression eyes. Yeah, and you listen to like Celine Dion and stuff like that because because <laughs> that's what sounds good through these. Yeah, the only like, wow. Give those kids some baits, man. They need some healing. See, that's interesting in itself because it's like the medium in which they're playing the music is dictating their music taste. Yeah, yeah, completely. Somewhat, you could. I, I guess, I guess that's the same. Uh, I probably apply. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like bass music. Like I, I'm definitely drawn to music that has a strong sense of bass. Yeah, we're very fortunate in this country, especially to have that ability to listen to music very loud with very strong bass components through the from the transportation of wind, wind windrush generation and that culture yeah, sound system. Definitely. You know, coming to this country. And, UK has always been very strong for that. Yeah, 100%. Um, and like, yeah, it probably has also really, now I'm thinking about talking to you about it, influenced, well, we know the music itself has obviously influenced well, pretty much all music to some extent, but also the popularity of music in this country and certain types of music. Like, you know what's listened to, to jungle music. All of, Well, I guess all the music that's come out of the UK really has, got, has had quite a strong I mean, when I talk about electronic music, I'm not saying all music is also there's instrumental music as well. I'm talking about sort of electronic music has definitely been dictated by the fact that we have the ability to listen to it with big speakers. Yeah, I think it's a big part of it, and yeah, and we shouldn't take that for granted. I know there's so many. I I really really struggle as a sound system owner, and I'm sure many others can share this, even promoters as well, trying to find venues now that you can put load speakers in and actually play them to the volume which they're supposed to be played at I have the impact that you want I don't know like I can't really like in Cardiff I can't think of any I know and that's why and that, but there you go then, then it's like people in Cardiff the youngers coming through don't get to appreciate the music the same way you did when you were younger and therefore inspire you the same way like I honestly I've had this conversation with a few people in the dubstep community right so some, some a community I've been part of for quite a number of years and I've kind of strung this theory together about COVID and the impact that COVID had on on that scene. And I and I was like, there was two years where all this next generation of young youths coming through, not children. Hopefully, there's no children in the, in the dance. But these youths are coming through, and they're not getting to experience what I experienced when I was their age that inspired me to make me want on my journey to go and take pursue that music and that genre. It's been a big thing. I mean, they didn't get that bass treatment. They didn't get that because dubstep music, I'm like, really is the best example of what's all like, you cannot listen to it on anything which doesn't have a decent, some sort of bass response. Headphones, yet, yeah, but like it needs to, you listen to them AirPods, you're losing out yeah. on a lot of frequencies. The majority of the music is in the low end. And that's where the influence is. And if you don't have that treatment, in my opinion, if you're not getting that sound system treatment in it, you're really going to struggle to connect with the actual essence and the of 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 what it was made for, and so all these youths coming through, not getting to experience, and that's also maybe now throwing it out there, but maybe a reason why drum and bass and and these higher end music have become more popular as well, somewhat because they're you can listen to on anything and they sound good. Like yeah, it's definitely a, a lot more high ends in the drum and bass, right? 100%. You've got the droids, the drums and the, and the hats now. I mean, obviously the B line is missing, but like just in general, there's, there's the tone, and even the mid bass now is very much more 
common in production that the emphasis on mid bass, which is not the low end, it's still technically appreciated as a bass sound, but it's, it's it doesn't sit within the frequencies necessarily as, as, as a sub bass. And I and I and yeah, a lot the dubstep community, the scene in the UK right now, isn't as healthy as it as it was. And yeah, I, I think that's one of the reasons, personally. Fair. So yeah, it's an interesting one. Like, it's an interesting one. How all of that impacts the fight. I wanted to shout out District actually in Cardiff because when I went, I've only been there once, but when I went there, their, their sound system was good. So I, I, I just wanted to give them a nod and be like, I do hear you. No, it's just it's <laughs> good, yeah. It is so appreciated. And something which is massively overlooked. I'm obviously very biased, but I feel like a lot of productions, a lot of clubs focus on the lights, maybe even the environment, making it smell nice and look nice. But not focusing so much on the sound and that's partly to do with the pressure they get from councils but also just yeah that fundamentally that that's in my opinion is the most important it's so important what well, i had a like um i wanted i put up something on facebook yesterday and i, I said is there an autobiography of richard long he's, he's like a famous sound technician yeah in like 70s new york I, I said, because I want to give it to every venue in the UK or nearly every venue, because I'd been to two different events that day, messed up the sound and it irritates me. <laughs> yeah, it irritates me it because it ruins a night. Like a friend of mine put on a, a really good night and the, 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 the actual venue is cool, but it's quite a high ceiling. And I'm I'm trying to enjoy what's on the stage, and I'm like, everyone on the stage is good. I can tell that, but I'm missing it. I'm like I'm not can't feel it because you've not got the sound right. Yeah, because you've not got the right sound system for the space, and you've not tuned it properly to the space there. And like, yeah, the the other the other event, the other gig was again like a high ceiling and but no monitors, so the 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 guys on stage are like really yeah, struggling yeah and it's yeah whereas Richard Long was very much like he did the Paradise Garage and I think the Studio 54 like came up with loads of ways of, of making this but like making the most of the space that they've got okay. and coming up with lots of different um, innovations because of that nice. not just sticking a rig in and hoping for the best yeah like right what's the space how can we make the most of this space and make That's, it sound good. And yeah, you don't really get it that much anymore. It's not taking consideration, you're right. People don't want to save money. Yeah. I always said to be I always say to people when we when I talk about this kind of topic is would you rather listen to your favorite DJ on a mini rig or a Bluetooth speaker mm. or an average DJ on a really good sound system. Favorite, Which one are you gonna favorite enjoy? DJ on a mini rig? Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. answer. Honestly, no, no one ever usually says that. I love that. No, nah, no, it really is like because my favorite DJ would still carry that energy through, regardless. Yeah. It wouldn't be as an enjoyable experience. Right. I, I can't listen to shit DJs. Like, it, I honestly, I, I can't. I just can't. Yeah, that's fair enough. You, you <laughs> spend so much time doing something. Yeah. You. I find, and that's the same for sound I was about to say, I spend so much time engineering sound 
and and fussing over it and making sure that that spending like, attending good ones, listening to good things. But if they're bad, I can't go. Like if I walk into one of my favorite dances, for example, like Rupture or Teachings in Dub, something like that, and the sound isn't right or there's something wrong with it or the venue they put it on a PA and I'm just not here it's not hitting I'll just I just won't I'll just go home yeah. I just won't enjoy it I, I don't drink anything it doesn't get it doesn't do it yeah you go and I so I don't have the patience for it yeah like yesterday I really wanted to support Romate and it was a good light that he put on but that that one thing with the sound I had to leave I was like I can't I can't stay here I'm not I don't enjoy it I'm not enjoying it it makes us more fussy necessarily it makes us more picky or more selective on but also i then find on the flip side of that when you listen to something good or really good you kind of know it's really really good oh, it's like a religious it's experience through, it's man. cut through all your criticisms it's cut through it's cut through all your layers of over criticizing or making sure it's perfect when it when it's perfect it's very much your appreciation is even better it's so rare though yeah, it is. It's no, it is. rare, and, and, and it's a shame because, like I say, like I've st- I've stopped drinking, and so when I go out, like yeah, it's fine to go out and socialize and talk to people. That's great. I love that. But like, if there's music playing, I I, fight, I, I struggle with that. Like I want to hit. Like I'm yeah. tuned into the music. So when the music is not good, or or when it's not like hitting. It's frustrating, but when it does, when someone just nails it, like when a DJ just kind of just keeps you there in that groove and just keeps you dancing. Like, I love to dance, love to dance, but it's so rare that a DJ will make me dance. Yeah. And that's what I want. I want someone to make me dance. Yeah, same. So that you can't actually physically stop yourself. That's it. And I always say, I always say that to me, my friends or people when I go to nights out or events or bands or. I'm like, when you see me dancing, you best know I'm really enjoying it. That's what I'm really in. like, because I'm not. I don't. I don't. I'm not someone that just dances necessarily. I'm not this like massive dancer, as it were. I enjoy it as anyone does. But if the music's making me dance, you best be. I'm really soaking it up and and, and feeling it. And yeah, no, that's good. So yeah, so obviously you've been a massive part of organising events and now for a long time. As you said from like. Not just before being part of the festival community, but also from running your own events. Running your own events, right? yeah. So that's a long time, nearly you know, over twenty years. And what would you, what would you say? Because I always find it really interesting. So you said you, you've also, I know that you've like you said you performed quite a lot of places all over the world. Yeah. And so, like, you've been an observer as well as a, a partaker in, in a, a fan as a performer. But also as someone who's promoted it and observed quite a lot of varied environments, I would say, in terms of all various settings as well and different kinds of music. And I always find it fascinating about the different kind of energies uh, and like social dynamics that are generated in within different uh, music performances. Like, I used to work, just to give you an example of what I mean, I worked at Love International Festival years, a few years back, for, for many years. And I'm I'm not a massive house and techno fan. I, I appreciate the music. I appreciate all music. I wouldn't usually go out my way to listen to it. But having gone there as an observer and someone who's also interested in this, what I'm talking about, I really noticed the difference in people's 
energy when they're listening to music. For example, a lot of people would spend the time communicating with each other whilst the music's playing, uh, talking, socialising, in the dance, like smoking, just chin wagging. They, people would go there. I, I feel like a lot of, some of them there were, were very much heads, you'd call them, mm. but a lot of people there would just come in to have a really good time and just hang out with their friends. Uh, and I find that music's obviously probably vastly more popular than other music's for that reason. Mm. Because people can, it's uh, less lyrical and you can kind of, you can go there just to have a chat with people. Whereas if you go into a very strong sound system event, everyone's eyes down. You know, you can't listen, you can't talk to each other. It's impossible. So the social dynamic has changed. And, and like, would you say that like, from DJing in other countries that it changes? Or would you say there's like a, commonality between genres of music that get played and the kind of social environment that gets developed? I think any music that becomes popular, I guess, you're always going to get a lot of people who come, not, not because they love the music, but because it's a social thing for them and they want to socialise. Yeah. And that's that's good. Like like music bringing people together like that, I'm for it. Like, I've no, no shade on that at all. Yeah. But... For me, I'm very much like, like I said earlier, I want music to, I want to lose myself, I want to find myself, I want to completely like get lost in the music, but then I want to feel connected to the people around me, I want to be able to like take someone's bottle of water, <laughs> like have a drink and pass it back and yeah, um, not, not talk, but communicate yeah just be like okay we're in this together like we're having this communal experience and and you get that you get that all over the world you yeah. get that all over the world but you very much we were lucky with boomtown that 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 was the music that we prioritized and so that's everything from bands to djs yeah so a lot of the gigs that i play or get invited to I see a lot more of that. I see like phones away. Uh, I, see, I go to a lot of gigs where everyone's got the phone out as well. But I, I like, I think I see a lot more than most people where people don't have their phones out are just in it in that moment and and really appreciate it and really connected to that moment. It's not just about being connected to the music. It's about being connected to the moment, like there, one hundred percent. Which I think is important, and so yeah, when you're when you're constantly like, and I, I'll I'll take my, like I'm I'm as bad as anybody. I like to take a little clip, I'll upload it onto Instagram, mainly to show people that there's stuff going on, yeah, and or, or or like oh look at this person, they're really good, like that's why I do it. Um, but it is, I lost my train of thought then, but yeah, yeah. It's about the moment. Yeah, no, it is. And I think I go into dances and that is the biggest, strongest sense of feeling I get, especially when you're very present. It's that you're looking around and not only have you chose to be there with, or all these other people have, one chose to be there with you in that moment, which is one thing you can feel a sense of like, oh, we like the same thing. But two, you're viscerally experiencing the same thing. I mean, you're actually physically and emotionally experiencing the same like sensory input 
so which helps you feel a sense of connection to all the people in there. And the longer you spend in the room with them, the more that kind of grows in the feeling of connection to these people to kind of develop something. Especially, especially when when that experience is kind of, I guess, almost pushing you. Like it's one thing, it's one thing to go and see your favorite band that all the words to, and you sing along with everybody. That's a beautiful experience and that's a very important experience. But it's a very different experience to go and see a DJ um, or go and even go and see a band where you don't know what's coming and they just take you on this like journey and they push you in different ways. And then what I love then is if you look at the person next to you like, are you experiencing this? <laughs> like, yeah, what is going on? Yes, like I love that. It's a look sometimes. It's yeah, like, it's just a look like not even words. <laughs> yeah, and then they're like, and then they just like nod, and they're like, yeah, yeah, I'm here. And I love that. You no, know, I love just that experience of like, wow, are you listening to this? It's a, it's something else. And I think that's, I think that's a big, that's a big reason why music can be a unifying force. Like we said just now, it's it. It transcends cultural boundaries. And if you're in a room with someone, you might even share completely polar opposite political, philosophical views to, and you won't even know, but, but you're listening to the same music. And in that moment, you feel unified and connected to them. You might actually, turns out you might despise them, hypothetically, if you actually got to speak to them in a, in a, in a personal setting. But actually, in that moment right there, you're just two humans listening to something that you both really enjoy. And and that's and I think that's a big power that music, one of the main powers that music has in a in a sort of political, well, definitely in a political definitely context. Well, I mean, it's the whole thing about the rave days, isn't it? It's like you got loads of people together. And yeah, drugs were involved in that as well, but mainly yeah. that well, they helped to kind of connect everybody to the music and let everyone shake it off a little bit. So they could enjoy the music and enjoy that experience together, but it was very much like the the the, the mythology, but also the the truth of it was there was different firms, like football firms, going to the same raves that would normally be fighting and just like hugging each other. And yeah, like, and like a lot of the raves that I went to when I was younger, like early nineties, were there was a lot of yeah, a lot of people that would normally be fighting. Yeah. And it was it wasn't all it wasn't all peace and love, it wasn't like I'd be lying if I said it was. It was it was always like an edge to a lot of them that, right. that I went to, but but at the same time there was definitely a lot of barriers broken down in that moment. Yeah, that's it. There's loads of examples of that I think in history. And you talk about the, the whole like, punk movement and like a lot of like the skinheads. People like that, the appreciation for reggae music, things like that, where they kind of transcended uh, cultural boundaries at the time. I thought, so yeah, no, so it is, it is a it is a powerful tool for that. And I think that's like I said, that's one of the most beautiful, beautiful parts of uh, of music. One of its great powers. So when we when we're talking about, I want to kind of still touch on a bit, a little bit more about organizing. Kind of, I want to. Look, I want to know a bit more about your. Have you got any really memorable moments or like good stories from like working at Boomtown or like what was 
anything that really stood out to you? There's probably loads of moments actually thinking about you did it for a long time. Is there anything that you would say like really tipped it for you or like I should have prepared ones because I get asked a lot and I my recall on these sort of Oh, I thought you've done so many. Always always terrible, but it, it was that though. It was just a series of moments. Yeah. Constantly. Yeah. It all kind of builds into one overbearing kind of feeling, doesn't it, sometimes? Yeah, and it it's I mean, it's such an emotional roller coaster, emotional roller coaster at the festival because there's so many moments of like real high pressure and real like tension. Yeah, along with like incredible moments of like ecstasy and like euphoria and like it's just a wild. Did ride. you used to work during the during the festival, or you have that time? No, no, I, I would I would work during the festival, but so for the first couple of years, I pretty much didn't leave the office. Yeah, and then I was like, this doesn't work for me. Like for starters, I booked all these bands, and I, I, I was having to like, yeah, what were you dealing with? Not like when, during the show, so many problems. I really like I'm, like it, artist like, questions, artist stuff, like yeah, like booking question queries, things like that. All like yeah. literally. So the first year, the first year that I worked in the music office, I wasn't actually supposed to, but I, I ended up doing that. And I would say that for the first few days, at least, from six in the morning till like half three in the morning, the next yeah. day, I was dealing with problems. Sometimes three or four problems at the same time. Yeah. With very little reprieve from that, with very little breaks. Wow. It was trial by fire. It was yeah. like, and, then, and some of that was my own inexperience, undoubtedly. Um, but you learn to problem solve really well. Like I always say to people that putting on events, is, especially festivals, is essentially just a series of problems. That yeah, you firefighting. Firefighting. Constantly. That's the, that's the main skill. If you want to go into festivals and events you learn how to solve problems yeah but you have to and and you don't let you don't let a problem stop you you don't sit on it you just keep moving how do i find it's all about solutions yeah all about because i guarantee you that every festival you've ever been to nearly didn't happen yeah like every single one nearly didn't happen because of of some like massive issues, you know, yeah, yeah. This is always ever changing, quite volatile environments as well. I mean, extreme volatile environments actually. That's why that's why COVID was such a a really tough one for people because all of these all of these festivals that are used to solving every problem that comes their way, yeah. suddenly found one that they couldn't get over, and it was like, oh, <laughs> and I think that was a big psychologically. I think it was. Like quite a big thing for a lot of festivals, I think so. Yeah. So as we as we looking ahead, I want to talk about. I like to talk about the sort of we've talked about the past. We talked about where you're at presently with with your, your work, and I also like to sort of touch on the future. So looking ahead, what do you envision for the future of, of music events as a whole? And are there any emerging trends or technologies that you find particularly particularly exciting? At festivals and events, I should say, because you've been part of both. 
Yeah, so festivals and events are both in a very weird space at the moment. Financially, it's a very difficult time. Yeah. Very difficult time. Um, and I think I think we're going to lose a lot of events and a lot, of, even though whenever we lose one, there's always a couple more that pop up. But I think eventually that bubble might burst and, and we might start to lose some. And then I think... I think we people might st- have to start to focus on the the basics again. Like, okay, yeah, why are we doing? Like, what is it about these things that brings everybody together? How can we bring more people together? I kind because of, at the moment there's a festival. Like, whatever your we become so individ- individualistic that, yeah. that whatever your priorities, you can find a festival that suits. That's that's a beautiful thing. That's a great thing. Yeah, you know, I love that. Some but I kind of feel that there might be. A, time where we start to lose some of that and have to have more to bring more people together yeah which is a good thing but it's a pretty hard way to get there um but like people will always have that need to come together this is it people will always have that need like that's why this that's why there's still loads of free parties that happen every weekend yeah um and People are using clubs less and less. Too expensive. I know. But it's also too expensive for the clubs. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's too expensive rent. for everybody. That's the problem. Yeah. Like, everybody's putting their prices up, but nobody's earning more money. So, look at this. this it's, it's actually vast. Like, that issue. Like, the, I was looking at some crazy figures the other day of, of the amount of clubs that have closed in the UK in the last three years let alone like in the last decade like Bristol itself just as being resident here you know, I've, I've seen the landscape change vastly and I've only been here like nine years but people will find new ways that's the thing like it, like it will adapt like, yeah, like yeah, a lot of young people now yeah. don't drink because it's too expensive partly and partly because they don't want to embarrass themselves on social media yeah that really affects clubs income and ability to serve them because that's but, what they relied on as their main source of income it wasn't even rentals fees, it was bar. But we've become so reliant on that. We be, it's been so ingrained to us that we have to drink to go out. When I started raving, yeah. one of the problems was that no, nobody drunk. Yeah. So the bars weren't making enough money because every, everybody was drinking water. Because they were on other things. But other, like before that, events started in the 50s and 60s. Yeah. Musical events started in places like coffee shops, right, and different spaces. So I think music will find its way into different spaces, and live yeah. music will find its its way into different spaces again. Like I went to a a gig last weekend in a community center, which was lovely. It was really nice to be in a community center, a place that isn't designed just as a business. It's designed to provide for the community. Yeah. And it made for a really lovely atmosphere. They had a little bar. They did have a little bar in there, but it's a, I, I, it felt like a different experience. And I hope that people discover these spaces again. 100%. And I was part of a project the last couple of years. It's was, it was in the community center, the boxing gym. Mm. And we just you saw it as an empty space that they need to raise some money. Bristol's abundance in, in terms of musical events and but the limit very limited in in terms of spaces to do them in so thankfully they agreed to provide it as a space to do raves and like you said yeah it was very it was a whole 
it added a whole new element to it. It added a whole new like feeling and like kind of interesting dynamic as you're walking around the boxing gym into these different rooms, different spaces. But also not only that, it helped also then raise funds for that community project. So it's funny, I, I read an article this morning and it was about the potential of romanticism coming back. Like, because in the 1800s, romanticism was almost like a, a reaction to like industrialization yeah. and that ki- and capitalism and that that kind of like mechanical industrial way of thinking and that fixed way of thinking it was like measurementing yeah yeah and, and we we're, we're kind of like hamsters on the wheel almost and we have just got to make the um the systems work right and it was kind of a, a reaction against that. And I feel like we're almost getting to that stage again with algorithms and, and things like that, kind of really forcing patterns and, and almost becoming like reg- making things more regimented um, in many ways. Like we think about things as industry, like music. We think of the, yeah. the, the music industry. We think yeah. of everything in terms of like... Uh, yeah, you're right. Within the within the within the framework of capitalism, I guess. Yeah, that's how we think about so much industry. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, and so I think I kind of hope really that there's that people start to question that a bit more. And I'm not talking about completely changing the system. We're just talking about finding a more finding their humanity within that system and finding what's important in terms of what's important about music. Not 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 how many views have you got and right. and but connecting with people sharing emotions and the fundamentals the, the fundamentals of of it and i i kind of feel that nothing else touches like you can yeah no, like i i'm excited about technology yeah but i kind of feel that no technology can give you that no you're right 100% and it has to come from the your human side and actually something that I've always found really admirable about the music industry is its ability to make something from nothing, especially the festival community. That's basically essentially what you do. You get given an empty space and you create this amazing, magical environment yeah. for people to enjoy. That resilience and also like the fact that you fight on fires that you're talking about, the resilience that is developed within the festival community just within the music communities, we've always been, the music's not always been considered within the vast side of society, the most important thing. And it gets pushed out, not only politically, but just from that viewpoint itself. But the resilience that is people's desire to express themselves through music and the, the, the creativity. And the creativity, exactly, always pushes through and the need to express yourself always pushes through. So I think when you say that people just find space, I think you're probably right. It, it it and like you said, it, it might be important to step out of the rigidity, uh, as it were, of the the, stru- the organizational structures that we've used up until now or have been developed now to to be able to enable that. Because what we've done, all, the, all like my generation, who like discovered free parties and not not discovered them. I'm getting I'm guessing they've always happened. Free festivals were happening before I was a kid, but in terms of like. The rave scene, should we say? Yeah. Essentially, all of the kids that grew up then, most of them have found their place within the system. Yeah. And we've we've learned to survive within 
that system. Whereas maybe the next generation need to go your <laughs> system and idea. This is what's important to us. And maybe that's a cycle. Maybe that's just a continuous thing. That's, that's I guess, most rebellious movements get co-opted into the system at some point. That's right. So for any uh, avid event organizers, promoters, or people who are considering starting their own festival, although most of them... Run away! Yeah, although most of all of the organizers I spoke to usually say, don't bother, you'd be mental to. But um, what's the kind of... Have you got any advice you'd offer them? No, like, know why you're doing it. Just, Just know why you're doing it. Just, like... You don't have to know how to do it, but know why you're doing it and yeah. is is important. I have a good ethos, a strong ethos, you mean, or just like an individual reason, just an individual drive. Yeah, because that's what you're going to need to succeed is that drive. And I would definitely prefer if that was a, a, a kind of benevolent feeling. Like I would like people to create things to give back to people. But that might not that might not be someone's drive. People are different, and sometimes you need that mixture of both. Sometimes you need someone whose drive is very different um, to 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 their partner, for example. So you yeah. might have you might have a, a lot of relationships. You've got a creative, and you've, you've got someone who's more kind of driven in terms of logical and logic and and, yeah. and making something work. That dynamic is very strong. I've found. Within, yeah, within this industry. Yeah, I think you need it. I think, and that because that's what it's always about, isn't it? We've become again, we've become such an individualistic society. We're all trying to do everything, but we work much better with other people. And yeah, like I wouldn't have done half of the events, good events I did, if I didn't have people who were stronger in the logistical yeah. sense. Like over the years, I've become a lot better than that. At that, having to have been town, but even there, as we did, friends, the team were much better. The team were, were there holding me up in that. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, we need like we 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 work much better together, and events are all about coming together. Nice. So so just yeah, I guess keep that in mind, and and if you're gonna do it, just keep going. Keep going, keep going, and I guess why why people say run away is because if you're not ready for it, yeah. Then if you haven't got that drive, you haven't got that passion, you just think it would be nice to start an event. Just don't do it. That's not going to get you through. Yeah, um, you need thick armor. You see, you see, so many events fail because they're not really. It's not that they don't know what they're doing; they just don't know why they're doing it. Yeah. Um, and then you kind of lose track of that. You like when you're actually like in in it deep. You're in the in the thick of it. You're asking them questions of yourself. Yeah, you had to get that's your And if you going. don't have that to look yeah. at, then you're then you just then that's it. There's nothing to really motivate you and push you forward. <laughs> I had it with my project at the moment. Um, I had a moment of like shakiness where I was like, why am I why am I doing this? Like, what's the perfect? Like, I was hitting a lot of like issues. And I was like, why am I doing this? And then, and I had to sit and kind of think about it. And I was starting to get a clearer picture again. And and then I started interviewing people. Because I want to interview loads. Like, I've got hundreds of people to interview to kind of help yeah. um, guide it. Because it's not my exhibition. It's everybody's exhibition. 
So I want loads of people's kind of, I, I want to know what's important to them. And listening to people's passion and listening to people like care so much about what they do, but also what the people around them are doing. And I was like, okay, this is, this is why I'm doing it. It's like this, I, I saw it yesterday as there's all of these like people fizzing with energy around Wales. And part of my job is to help plug them into the mainframe, <laughs> like reach charge the, yeah. the country because all the energy, all the passion is there, but the, the, there needs to be a better sense of connection and, and structure. 100%. That's only going to help build the, the roots of the tree, as it were, to help it grow stronger. So is there any events or festivals that you want to mention or kind of encourage people to come and attend or so, pay homage to? So after after Boomtown, I kind of, I realized I didn't want to do events at all. I was like, right, I need a break. I'm, I'm stressed, even just the thought of it. And so I took a year off from everything. But one of the events that I pulled back from was Big Love Festival. Yeah. And like one of my best mates, Stu. That's in Wales, right? That's a, uh, yeah, it's, it used to be a basketball, basketball hall, right. but now it's in uh, Monmouthshire, I think near us. Oh, yeah. Uh, beautiful greenfield site. Yeah. Really lovely. And um, yeah, so I felt a bit guilty stepping back from that because um, Stu's a, a good mate of mine and Badger that does it with him, like absolute legend, human being. And and. I realized when the festival happened that I, I had actually programmed most of it because Stuart phoned me up like nearly every day. <laughs> like, what about this? Yeah. So this year I'm I'm back doing that and I'm excited about it. It's a small festival. It's like 1500 capacity. It's the first year they're doing it as a family festival. It's right. always been over 18. So yeah. it's the first year they're doing it as a family, which has a whole new kind of dimension to it. Yeah. But like... The reason that I have to do it is not just because it's my mates, but last year I was sat there and I was like, this is such a beautiful atmosphere and vibe and energy. I can't not do it. Like I feel duty bound to do it. Like, so I definitely recommend that. Like if, if you want just a real nice vibe and you want to be able to bring your kids now as well, then that, yeah, I definitely recommend Big Love. It's, 19th of July to 21st. 19th of July is my birthday as well. So I always have it as like my birthday party. Wicked. And then and then at the end of the year, I pulled back from DJing a bit this year, but I did four yeah. well, I'm doing four all night DJ sets. So I did one in Cardiff, did one in Bristol, did one in Glasgow, and the final one of the year on the, the winter solstice is in Utanani in Brixton. So it's just me all night long. It's the biggest one of Great the four. Club. Yeah, it's such a great venue. I, I had to, it, that was important for me. Like I really like had to connect to the the venue. Shout out Max and all the gang. Yeah, yeah, big up Max. So so yeah, Hoot and Annie, it kind of had to be, but it's a big venue, so it's terrifying at the same time. But it's going to be really fun. It's, so it's on the winter solstice, which for those of us who grew up in wales it's black friday don't not this american black friday but the real black friday yeah the one before christmas so it's going to be wild and and i'm hoping i get a chance to really let loose and kind of be authentically me in that way i mean i will be anyway but like i 
felt a, a, a couple of the others. Like Cardiff was amazing. It was like yeah. I just got to play all of this stuff that I never normally play. I packed, I'd say 95% of the tunes I played that night I'd never played before. Wow. And I didn't get the chance to do that at, at, at Glasgow and Bristol. I started to I started to go that way in Bristol and I'd already spoiled people a little bit by playing like dance hall and stuff and everyone was like, no, we won that again. Oh, yeah. I'm trying to play like soulful uplifting house and everyone was like, ah, yeah, come on. <laughs> they know it was better than that. Yeah. And in the end, we all like came together under drum and bass and it was beautiful. But but yeah, so so I've got like six hours to play with. I'm gonna go all over the place anyway. I'm gonna I'm gonna completely go. But I really wanna keep it like I wanna dig. I wanna play stuff I don't know normally play, but they're just that I love. Yeah. I and love them sense. I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna make people dance regardless. Like that's one of my big things. I love making people dance. I love letting people like just go free. And I played in Hootin' Annie's a few times and it's always been wicked. It's always been a good vibe. So yeah, just never on my own. Yeah, all night. I all feel like night. the all night ones, you really, like you say, you, you have much more freedom to indulge and and dig for things that you wouldn't, like you said, you wouldn't usually play. And it's just less pressure to like make an impact in that small, usual 60-minute time frame that people get given these days. Sometimes even less, but like when you've yeah. got six hours, you, you feel less pressure as a, as a performer. Yeah, definitely. You've got more time to make an impact, and and also you can build the energy more. You have you more control over the, the energy that's that's manifested and and cultivated. Sorry, that's what it. And I, I I like I like playing music from the area as well when I do these nice. ones as well. That's cool because I like. Yeah, I, I'm not really into just turning up and and doing the when I was set and then driving home anymore I, I, I've done it I've done it hundreds of times yeah I like actually connecting with places I like connecting with the people and I love Brixton I love yeah, Brixton a lot of history that music history as well so much history so I'll be there like I, I go there quite regularly anyway but I'll be there for a few days beforehand and just like properly soaking up the vibes and I'll be playing a lot of Brixton artists in my set and swim um, yeah great Amazing. So make sure everyone you go check that out if you're in London or near Brixton or not even if you're anywhere and you want to go and check out uh, a AAA bad boy set. It's still that. Ooh, no. AAA bad boy. Apologies. Anymore. Sorry, just... you've changed your alias. I should have known that. Yeah, just Captain Barrett. Just Captain Barrett now. Okay, if you want to go check out a Captain Barrett set, six six hours long, and you watch him delve into some tunes probably you've never heard before as well. I can guarantee that. And make sure you go check it out. Uh, thank you so much, Captain, for coming on the show and uh, sharing your uh, history and your current work and your knowledge with us. I've really, really enjoyed this show, and, uh, yeah, it's been enlightening. So thank you so much. Really lovely to chat. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. All right, guys, that's the end of uh, our first episode. Thank you for listening. Bang with two hours. Look at that.